It's the final day of January. Good riddance, even though we may have 12 inches of snow on Wednesday or it might rain. The weather forecasters really don't have a clue. It's today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Layla Tassi, Lisa Garvin, and our big snow fan, Laura Johnston, <laughs> who was on the ski slopes in an ice rink and in a natatorium all in the same weekend. I like water. What could I say? All forms. <laughs> I hope we don't get 12 inches of snow. Let's go. What did the Republican leaders who gerrymandered Ohio's legislative maps have the audacity to ask the Ohio Supreme Court to do rather than demand the Republicans create the fair maps that voters demanded? Laura, this really is the definition of audacity. I mean, I feel like we say that every time they pull something, we're like, can you believe they did this? And then they just go and make it worse. So they want to kick this can down the road. They do not want any reform to mess with their Republican slanted gerrymandered districts. And what's calling is this filing is supposed to come from the full Ohio redistricting commission, the seven members, which includes two Democrats. Obviously, the two Democrats on the commission did not sign off. They were overruled. And Republican Attorney General Dave Yost blocked them from having their own legal counsel. Yeah, we'll so, get to that. Let's, yeah. let's stick to the let's stick to the ridiculous okay. claim they're making, not get ahead of ourselves. Okay. So the filing asks for the court to have an expedited ruling by February 11th, since the second is a filing deadline in the races. Regardless, they said that they're constitutionally compliant. They should be implemented for the required four years, and they should all move on. And obviously, there's a ticking clock on this. The county boards of elections have to program their voter registration systems, and these these elections need to start taking place. I just can't believe that they're what they're claiming now is it's too late to fix it. The only reason it's too late, in their words, is because of what they did. If they'd have done their jobs the first time, we wouldn't be in this situation. If they'd done their jobs the second time, we wouldn't be in this situation. And I just don't see Maureen O'Connor buying that argument that, that oh, oh, it's going to put the election into jeopardy. That's completely in their hands. They can move all the deadlines. They can move the primary election. And and to use that is the phony baloney excuse to get the Supreme Court not to do anything. I, I, just, I think it's a bad move. I think they would have been smarter to just go in and say, look, we think the, we think these fit the bill. We think you ought to let them go through. But when you add that nonsense to it, I think it's just going to make the Supreme Court justices angry. The I ones mean, that aren't voting based on partisan beliefs. True. And you have another less incendiary option to actually create and pass fair maps to play by the rules and do what the voters told you to do. And then when you didn't do it and got your hand slapped by the Supreme Court, what the Supreme Court asked you to do. And instead, they just keep going in, throwing up their hands and being like, we think this works. But if not, you know, let us have our way. They just it is so galling the just the power play that they are. And look, here. this is Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who is charged with making sure elections are fair. He's got his name on this. Governor Mike DeWine has his name on this. It's not just Cup and Huffman, who none of us voted for. It's these statewide elected leaders who are all up for re-election this year, trying to pressure the court into doing something that's bad for the citizens of Ohio. 
I again, I think this was a bumbling move. I, somebody with a sense of strategy should have said, you know, guys, you're just poking the bear with that one. Let's well, not and say that. They are poking the bear in the bear being Justice Maureen O'Connor, the chief justice. I mean, because they want to push this down the road. They want to push her out because she's done at the end of November. And they think if they can push this till after November, then they'll get a friendlier court because they're banking on getting another Republican justice in there. What's, they are just lying through their teeth in this filing, though, because they can argued that the maps resulted from, quote, unprecedented cooperation from the mm -hmm. members where the members only ever met twice. And House Minority Leader Alison Russo said she didn't even see the final map until the morning of, of the vote. She said the lack of collaboration doomed the map. Well, and that is part of what the Supreme Court opinion demanded. They mm -hmm. said right. that the citizens demanded that the seven of you work together to do this. And again, Mike DeWine, Frank LaRose, Huffman Cup, and Keith Faber didn't do it. I mean, that, that should mean something at the polls in November. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How do the Democrats fighting the Republicans over the gerrymandered maps say that Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost has now gotten in on the action to keep the maps gerrymandered? Layla, this one threw me because Dave Yost has remained out of the fray. Mm -hmm. He wasn't getting tarnished by any of the shenanigans that were going on here. He had been doing the right thing. And in the end, he just has to pull the umbrella of shame over to cover him, too. <laughs> We've got shenanigans. <laughs> Ohio House Minority Leader Alison Russo says Yost is trying to muzzle Democrats on the Higher Redistricting Commission by denying them access to their own independent attorneys. So Yost abruptly denied Russo and State Senator Vernon Sykes, who are the two Democrats on the commission, their own attorneys, which they had had during the entire case. Yost said that since the court ordered the redistricting commission to redraw the map as a single entity, they would be represented as one unit despite their wildly divergent goals and their opinions on the legislative redistricting process. Of course, the fact that they had separate representation is one of the reasons why the gerrymandered maps lost in court the first time. The Democrats are the ones who spelled out for the court how the Republicans had these things drafted in a back room without their input. He, he, you know, Yost had previously recognized that the Democrats' interests were different from the Republicans and, and he had allowed them their own legal representation. So it seems perfectly clear what is going on here, right? Well, the idea that he gave them representation for the first 90 percent of the case, they get sued, right? They're, they're named defendants in the suit in addition to the commission. He gives them the, the required representation shows what's proper. To remove it at the last minute right. just makes no sense. It's It says, oh, wait, I am a Republican stooge. Let me play the stooge. I'm not giving you lawyers. Those two poor, the poor Democrats had to go out on their own and say, no, 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 we don't agree with any of this. They had to put out their own release. We've been denied representation. We've been denied the ability to speak our minds. While the Republicans are in there saying, this is unanimous filing. You know, do they really think that the Supreme Court's not going to figure out that that's not true? That they're basically lying to the court? Yep, you're completely right. Yeah, it just it's mind boggling. Just one thing after another here. When was this I just end? don't get why Dave Yost, when he had been away from this horrible scandal, <laughs> it's like, wait, I want to be part of it too. Be, Let's put mud on me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like the kid that comes out late after the rainstorm and all the other kids are playing in the mud. And it's like, wait, wait, I want to get covered. <laughs> and now he is. There you go. Shame on you, Dave Yost.
You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is Ohio giving to Intel to get the company to build a much-desired microchip factory near Columbus? Lisa, it took forever, a week, for Mike DeWine and company to finally tell us what they offered to get this big win, and it's a lot. It's a lot. There, It's a $2 billion swag bag that Ohio is giving to Intel with lots of goodies in it, not the least of which is a $600 million onshoring grant that would offset the higher cost of building a factory here in the United States. However, the state can recoup that if it if Intel fails to meet their commitments, although I don't know what those commitments are exactly. Also in this package, $691 million in infrastructure, including road work, a $300 million water reclamation plant because uh, chip factories use lots and lots of water, and also another $101 million in water and sewer upgrades in the area. $650 million for a 30-year job creation tax credit program. New Albany, where this is going to be located, they're chipping in $10 million for road, water, and sewer upgrades. So yeah, lots. And, and $1.3 billion of this $2 billion plus is direct cash incentives, most of which we just talked about. So yeah, lots of giveaways here. But of course, you know, we want Intel to come. We're not saying we don't want them to come, but it's interesting to see what the state has given them. Yeah, this is one where I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody to say it's a bad idea. We we we've been reliant on old technology and old manufacturing for so long to get such a game changer. It's worth it. It's not like building a baseball stadium where you get questionable financial returns. This one there'll be a big return in part it's the psyche of Ohio. If the Peloton factory still gets built, which it appears like it will, and this happens, you know, Ohio starts to get some buzz as a as a kind of a hip manufacturing place. I just don't know why they took so long to tell us what it was. It's not like it's bad news that they're giving them serious incentives to get them to come. Did they explain why it took so long? They didn't really, although we talked last week that they said that the ink wasn't really dry on the incentives package, that they were still doing a little back and forth before they made the official announcement. So... You know, I, the reasons are still yet to be named other than that. Yeah, I don't think anybody bought that, though. You don't make the big announcement when you still haven't worked out the details. <laughs> Unless they just said, we'll give you whatever you want. We'll, we'll mark it down later. Just keep asking and we'll sign you the blank check. It's Today in Ohio. What might Chuck Jones have been trying to hide when he deleted texts that a forensics firm is now trying to restore? Chuck Jones, being the defract CEO of First Energy, lost his job after the big scandal broke. And what are some of the more colorful text messages that Jones sent in connection with the bribery scandal in the state house that his company funded while he was the CEO? Laura, this is an intriguing story, and those texts were colorful. Exactly. And I feel like this is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning because they're just starting to look for more of the text. But there is going to be a whole lot of damning stuff in here. Uh, the federal HB6 complaint says that Jones and HB6 mastermind Larry Householder emailed and text each other several times a week about the legislation. And this went on for quite a while. Several attacks have, also, have already appeared in a deferred prosecution agreement. Uh, signed by First Energy last year. That's when they admitted to bribing Householder and former PUCO chairman Sam Randazzo. He said, we made a big bet and it paid off. That same day, he wrote HB6, F 
anybody who ain't us, along with a photoshopped image of Mount Rushmore featuring the faces of Randazzo, two first energy executives, and another utility company executive. <laughs> I, I mean, that is just, I want to see this. Wouldn't you love, though, to be a prosecutor with that oh, in yeah. your evidence folder? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you just love to show that to the jurors? The smugness of this corruption, the, the ridiculous stuff that they did, and then celebrating it like drunken frat boys. I mean, this is... I mean, and you know that this was put into the file purely for our reporters because they knew we would eat it up. I mean, I want to see this picture of Mount Rushmore. That's not just like a text you send. Like you spend time photoshopping Mount Rushmore. I mean, we don't know what all the other ones are going to say. Forensic experts have been working to recover text messages uh, that Jones deleted in October 2020. This was shortly after the utility fired him for violating company ethics policies amid the House Bill 6 scandal. You'd think, though, he'd had three months since the big FBI raid that he could have been deleting text messages. I don't know why you would wait till you get fired. Well, because all... it's a crime. I mean, you're, when you know that you have evidence of, of a crime on your on your person when it's starting to be investigated, it's very dangerous to delete it because they'll charge you with obstruction and other things. You're not the, supposed I mean, to do that. Obviously, if you're involved this much, that's not going to be the biggest part of your worries, <laughs> right? No, it's paying $60 million in bribes to We're fund the biggest scandal messages. in history. What's amazing is he's still proclaiming his innocence when the employer for him has already gone to court and said, yes, we did it. We did it. I and know. we'll pay you hundreds of millions of dollars in fines for all the bribes that we paid while he was CEO. I love the idea, though, of Randazzo on Mount Rushmore. This was Mike DeWine's <laughs> choice for PUCO chief. And he's so in the pocket of First Energy that they're putting him on Mount Rushmore. And frankly, they probably paid him enough money where you could probably carve his face in Mount Rushmore oh and God. still have millions left over. Probably. <laughs> and I, I mean, Jones is saying that his the company hired by his attorney Interhack was only able to extract fragmentary messages from two iPhones and an iPad that he used, and they couldn't retrieve substantive text messages. But this is his attorney hiring a company, so let's hire somebody independent. Apparently, they're still checking five desktop computers, plus an Apple Watch, a Garmin Golf Watch, an iPhone 11, and an iPad Mini. So they got they got lots to go. What what throws me on this is that the feds are the ones investigating the criminal case. And we've seen nothing from them in months and months and months. There's been just no movement. The trial's not going to be probably till next year. We're getting all these revelations from the, the stockholder lawsuits, right. the civil part, where they're going at them hard because the stock dropped by a huge amount of money. All the investors lost a fortune. So they're being much more aggressive at the moment than the federal prosecutors. You keep wondering. It's like, come on. The company admitting paying the bribes. When do the people who receive those bribes get nailed for it? We'll see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Today's the last day to get a dog license in Ohio before the price doubles. So what did reporter Caitlin Durbin find out happens with all that money the 63,000 dog owners pay for licenses in Cuyahoga County? Layla, the readers really wanted to know answers to these questions. I put something out on subtext mm -hmm. about it, yeah. and I heard from all sorts of people saying, yeah, I pay. I have three dogs. I pay 60 bucks a year. Do they just add that to the general fund? And they don't. Yeah, this and is actually used for the right reason. I know, and we were also wondering if the, if the county shares that revenue with the municipalities that are responsible for enforcement of the state licensing 
housing requirements and and you know they're the ones usually dealing with strays or housing them in their local kennels but it turns out that the county's kennel uses every penny of that licensing money uh, plus a little extra from adoption fees to support the operations there with with no assistance from the county's general fund so you know stray dogs first go to the nearest municipal shelter where they have three days to be claimed you get 14 days if they have a tag and then they're they become eligible for adoption Cleveland's Division of Animal Care and Control, for example, uh, you know, it's the largest among these kennels. It, it reunited 1,100, more than 1,100 pets last year with their owners. Another 650 were adopted out. And then the remaining uh, 45% of dogs that come through often have nowhere else to go. And, you know, um, they have to go to one of the, you know, 200 plus community rescues, or in most cases, they end up at the county shelter. So, you know, the county kennel took in over 1,600 dogs from the area animal care and control shelters. Only 198 of them were returned to their owners because, you know, as we said, most re- most reunifications take place at that municipal level. And then another 100 or so had to be euthanized for, for uh, medical or behavioral reasons. But the remaining dogs stay in their care until they're adopted. And last year, that was, you know, 1,259 uh, adopted animals uh, that got new homes. So there is a very good purpose for that money that comes in, and every penny of it goes to good use. It's interesting that it's a state law that you have to pay the county for a dog license, but the county set the rate. So in Jaga County, it's 15 bucks, in Cuyahoga, it's 20, mm. in Lorraine, it's 24. But the state law also says if you don't pay today, whatever the license fee is, you got to pay double. So if you have a dog, you might want to get in. I did ask the question on subtext as to why we don't license cats and mm-hmm. got pounded by people saying, stop it. Don't even suggest it. <laughs> but the point is they don't take many cats in at the shelter, that the dogs are what they end up dealing with. Yeah, and it's so it's interesting. Cats... And and when Caitlin yeah. asked the question, why, you know, that they were all sort of like, well, because the law doesn't say we have to <laughs> license cats. So that's the answer. But, you know, one of Caitlin's sources speculated that uh, you know, the, the country is so overrun with feral cats that there's really no one to claim them or no one to hold accountable. So, you know, and it's also less common for cats to even wear collars because, you know, they're they're climbers and they could, you know, get choked out by their collar getting hung up on something. So it's, you know, it just seems sort of fruitless to require cats to be Although, licensed. My my backyard gets littered with decapitated chipmunks and bunnies and birds that are all done by cats. And my gentle golden retriever, who I have to get surgery for next week, Aww. has never killed anything. So I could make an argument, you should license cats just to to try and reduce the feral cat population. But that was not a popular sentiment on subtext, so I'm not going to make the <laughs> argument. <laughs> Moving on, it's today in Ohio. How long do Ohio lawmakers have to fully legalize marijuana in the state to avoid the question going to voters on the November ballot? Lisa, we're getting closer and closer to go time for the Republicans in the legislature if they don't want this Democratic cause to show up on the November ballot. Yeah, the coalition to regulate marijuana like alcohol did reach their goal of getting enough valid signatures to uh, get this before the legislature. They had to have like over 132,000 verified signatures to do that. And that was verified by Secretary of State Frank LaRose in a letter he sent to legislative leaders late last week. 
So the clock starts ticking. That means that the legislature has four months to consider, review, and pass this bill per the Ohio Constitution. So by my counting, that would be like Memorial Day if that doesn't happen. This is where I'm confused because I I believe if lawmakers don't pass it, then CRIMLA has to circulate more petitions for placement on the ballot. Is that correct? Right. Okay. They got to get exactly the same, same number amount. of okay. uh, signatures again. So there is a limited time, but you know, it's January 30th. So four months, you get to the end of May, they have time to get it on the ballot then, right? And, which they don't want to, right? Well, they, they want the legislature to just pass this. The, this is kind of blackmail. Right. The, the, right. Criminalist uh, Tom Heron says he's, quote, ready and eager to work with lawmakers. And they really do prefer that lawmakers pass the bill instead of putting it in front of the voters. But we've seen other marijuana related bills kind of stagnating a little bit in the legislature. There's one out there right now for legalizing medicinal marijuana to treat autism spectrum. There's one uh, sitting out there for legalizing pot for anyone whose symptoms may reasonably be expected to be relieved by marijuana. And there are also like some bipartisan bills to legalize recreational marijuana by both Democrats and GOP that are kind of languishing. So hopefully this will have more of a push, but there is bipartisan support for this in Ohio, surprise. You know, there's very little research on marijuana because it was prohibited by the federal government for years. But a study came out over the weekend about adolescents that use marijuana and how they're kind of dumb for months after that the residual effect lasts a lot longer than the time where they're feeling the immediate effects of it, which is frightening if true. But we don't have the research in hand to know that's what we're headed for. It's today in Ohio. Now that reporter Adam Farise has pointed out that Cuyahoga County officials were not doing investigations as required into deaths at the county jail, have they hurried up to produce them? And Laura, are they worth anything? Yeah, this is shameful, honestly, is what it feels like. But it seems like they have hurried up to do the work that they were supposed to have done months and months ago, and they're not very thorough. The officials released these reviews one week after Adam Faris reported the county failed to produce the reports about deaths from 2020, two days after the editorial board inquired about them. The reports are on four inmate deaths, including for three inmates who died more than a year ago. And the reason that they do these reports is that they ruled in November 2019 that um, after the U.S. Marshal Service determined in their inspection that they conducted lackluster death investigations, that they should really, you know, do good reports to figure out what went wrong and what can be done in the future to stop that. Well, Administrator Rhonda Gibson wrote these reports. They're supposed to analyze all this stuff, but what she ended up giving Adam was less than that. And she actually wrote a letter to Sheriff Chris Christopher Villand arguing that jail policy did not require written reports or documented recommendation, and she's still awaiting final reports on their deaths. So it just seems really squishy here. They gave Adam something that they said fulfilled what's required, but they're also arguing it's not required. And in the meantime, the families of the people who died are not happy with this. Yeah, it's I, I I guess I'm never going to understand what the Buddhist administration is thinking. When he brought in Bill Mason to be chief of staff, it was supposed to clean up the jail. And they did. They did do what they needed to 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 get that going. These investigations were supposed to give the public confidence. But as soon as people stopped paying attention, they just didn't do it. I mean, right. it's like, what are they? 
you would think if you were in charge of that and you had eight people die and you suffered all the scandal and all of the resulting criminal charges, you would never take your gaze from the jail again. You would be focused on it, asking for daily updates. And as soon as the temperature goes down, they all look elsewhere. They were too busy politicking, looking for somebody to put up against Chris Ronan, I guess. Can, can I talk about Sean Trawick? He's the one who died after his cellmate attacked him. That cellmate is now charged with murder. And we talked recently on the podcast, I think last week, about a $1.1 million settlement that the county gave out to his family. It was the biggest settlement they've had in all of these deaths. So they finally release a report for him. They only give cursory facts of the case. And Gibson recommended reinforcement of correction officer training related to warning signs, environment awareness, response to critical events, etc. Nowhere does it say, hey, maybe we shouldn't put a guy who's accused of, of attacking all these people in a regular cell with another person. They don't have any explanation other than that. And the attorney for Sean Trawick's family said, unfortunately, it's what the county's response has been in the last decade. They don't intend to do anything. They don't take steps to prevent anything bad from happening. And then the response from the county on this, uh, county spokesman um, spokeswoman Mary Louise Madigan said in a statement that his death was not caused by the county and they say that they took the death quite seriously as evidenced by our good faith settlement of the family's lawsuit like that is a head scratcher to me how you can say we we settled this lawsuit therefore we're taking the death seriously you settled the lawsuit because you were sued and you were going to be out a lot of money you know this actually this... makes me wonder could it be that the, that this is a strategic move to avoid you know producing documents that are discovered in in civil lawsuits. I mean, if they were to have done these oh, these reports in a timely <laughs> manner, I mean, then they would have been turning these over to the the lawyers mm. representing these although, uh, families. Although, if I'm a juror and the and the defense shows me that they didn't do their investigation, that's going to go very poorly for the county. Look, when this administration is finally done at the end of this year, there is a great management book to be done in all of the steps you shouldn't take. If you just go through five or six of the scandals that we've uncovered in this administration and point to every decision tree where they went the wrong way, it would be very instructive. You could be a great county administrator just by doing the opposite. It's not just management too, it's like being a human. Like it's just, this is awful. Man, a venal, mean, not caring for people. It's very ugly stuff. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why does the Greater Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority say it had to completely shut down for the first time in years during the Martin Luther King Jr. Day snowstorm that dropped more than a foot on the region? Layla, this doesn't bode well if the weather forecasts are partly right, that we might have a big storm this week. Good point. Yeah, like you said, about 15 inches dumped on the county that day. And and RTA Chief Operating Officer Doc Caver recently told the Board of Trustees that the storm resulted in 50 stuck RTA buses, 13 minor accidents, and two trains sliding backward on the tracks, which created obviously huge risks to employees and passengers. So they ended up erring on the side of safety and suspended bus and rail service for 12 hours. I mean, that's, you know, riders stranded for hours and hours. That was the first time they had made a call like that in about two decades. And Caver said it was the right decision for the safety of everyone involved. But the advocacy group Clevelanders for Public Transit 
are pretty tangled up about this. They they pointed to some marketing messaging that RTA put out last year where they were boasting about how their fleet is ready for the snow and how public transit is the safest and most reliable form of transportation during winter weather. So they're like, well, what gives? They they want to know whether this means you can't count on RTA to show up the next time it snows. You know, riders, like I said, were stranded for 12 hours during the RTA shutdown. So you know, RTA defends itself and says, no, this storm was unique. It was accumulating so quickly. They said staff was out clearing the roads for the buses, but other stuck drivers abandoning vehicles made the streets impassable. They also ran their snow trains, but two operators sent out emergency calls after losing traction. And they've since learned the problem wasn't because of track conditions, but rather an ice buildup on the brake shoes. But just all in all, you know, it's it's a mess that they say won't happen again because that was just a you know very unusual high <laughs> well, could, rate of could snow. Could happen Wednesday. Yeah, well, could, I do. Yeah, I, I do want to be a little bit of a reality check, I and mean, that was a very very heavy duty snowstorm. And there is just the law of physics here. It takes a while to dig out. That's why they recommend stay home. Stay home. Don't go out in this. I mean, it's almost like we're so impatient that we won't accept that Mother Nature can block us. But when a foot of snow falls that fast, you do have to deal with it. It's It's not like you snap your fingers and everything's back to normal. It's a lot of work to clear the way so that you can have safe roads and safe rails. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But I do also see the the uh, you know I can sense the the uh, anxiety that that RTA riders are feeling. It's I can't imagine what it's like to be stranded for hours waiting for your your bus, <laughs> and you have yeah. But I can't imagine what it's like to be on a bus that skids out of control and mm-hmm. crashes either. That's true. I mean, there look when that much snow falls, we all have to accept. Okay, we you know this is this is part of life. Let's. Let's deal. It's like when your power goes out, unless you have a generator, you know, you, you, you deal with it. You've all dealt with that. Leila, I think you dealt with it for like two and a half days, right? <laughs> yeah, Superstorm <laughs> Sandy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, I just, the idea that we don't accept that, that the forces of nature can interfere with our plans is silly, especially with climate change. It's getting worse and That's worse true. and worse. And I don't so. accept it. rta don't let us down (laughs) (laughs) okay and that's it you're listening to today in ohio we'll leave it there thank you laura thank you lisa thank you layla thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast